You know, we are a lot like Barney Fife there on the screen. We spend our lives trying to put distance between us and the goats that follow us. Uh, the things we do wrong, it could be uh, the anger that we wrestle with, or maybe it's the impatience that we feel from time to time, or maybe it's the discord we bring to relationships. It's the things we do wrong, the things that haunt us that we fear one day may blow up in our face. In fact, several years ago I was invited by my brother, two of my brother-in-laws, to join them in a game of golf, which surprised me because I'm not good at golf, but they asked me to come along. And so I joined them. And we were on the third hole, and they teed off first, and then it came my turn to tee off. I put the ball on the tee. I squared up to the tee, and I mean, I, I swung hard, and... It was the most amazing shot I had ever seen in my life. I mean, it was one of those astonishing shots that people watching said, Whoa, how did he do that? I mean, that ball left the tee and immediately went at right angles to the fairway. And it was aiming right for my brother-in-law's head, who if he hadn't ducked, it would have hit him. He ducked and it hit the pole that he was leaning against with the loudest ping you'd ever heard. Well, I mean, I saw what happened. I just apologized profusely and he kind of picked himself up off the ground. My other brother-in-law over here was just laughing. He said, oh, Doug, Doug, you don't have to. You don't have to count that. I mean, that, that'll be your practice shot. We call that a mulligan. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. It doesn't count. We, we won't even write it down. And I was given, at that point, a perfectly clean slate. It's like I hadn't taken the shot. I mean, it was a complete do-over. So I said, okay. And I got another ball out of my bag. I put it on the ground. This time I made sure I got everything right. I swung. And this time the ball goes at right angles the other direction and hits the tree this brother-in-law is standing beside. And I, I'm, golly, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mulligan. And they said, yeah, great. Third ball down on the tee. And uh, I made sure everything was square. I'm, I'm going this direction. I thought I better turn, look for my brother-in-laws and I couldn't find them. Until I looked down and they were laying on the ground behind me with their hands on top of their heads. That's a true story. Now, I thought about that from time to time and thought, wouldn't it be great if we could get mulligans in other areas of life? I mean, a policeman pulls you over for a speeding ticket. He hands it to you. You tear it up and say, mulligan. He says, fine with me. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or the bank call says, you know, you've bounced another check. You just say mulligan, and the person on the other end says okay. Or better yet, you're in an argument with your spouse, and the words out of your mouth, you wished you could get them back. All you have to yell is mulligan, and it's as if you had never said them. I mean... You invest in the wrong stock, or maybe you fail your driver's test, maybe you blow a sales call. All you need is a mulligan. Now, wouldn't it be great if 
we could do that. We all need mulligans in life, don't we? I mean, let's say you have an opportunity to serve someone, but you choose something self-serving instead, or even better yet, maybe you let a deceptive comment just lie so that you get credit for something you didn't do. Or maybe you stretch the truth in the story to, to put yourself in a better light. But for many of us, mulligans run a whole lot deeper. Need for mulligans run a whole lot deeper than that. Uh, maybe it has to do with the things that really matter in life. Mistakes you made at work or made in your marriage or made in your parenting. These mistakes, these moral choices, then they kind of begin to color life. They begin coloring all of life, don't they? I got a call from a friend of mine. Not too long ago, he asked for my help. He was, he was the manager of a recording artist and had stepped over the line in his relationship with her and was now involved or had been involved in a full-blown affair. Well, he had wisely called off the relationship and he dropped this mistress that he was entangled with and he had planned on taking this secret to his grave. He had a great wife. He had two small kids. He didn't want them affected by his stupid self-serving decisions. But my friend was unprepared by how active his conscience was. And the angst that came to the surface day after day after day haunted him. And after a month of sleepless nights, he calls me on the phone, tells me everything that's happened. He says, what should I do? My friend needed a number of mulligans in a multiplicity of errors. You know, there was a prophet Isaiah that speaks to our need for mulligans when he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And that phrase, we have turned everyone to his own way, speaks of our self-serving ways, our wrongdoing, our need for mulligans. You know, our need for mulligans goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes all the way back to the time of creation when Adam and Eve chose independence from God. I mean, their story in the garden is really our story where Adam and Eve brought into question the goodness of God through the choices they made in choosing the apple. And... We've kind of inherited that from them. We bring into question the goodness of God through the choices we make. In other words, we followed in their footsteps. Now, you may be thinking that blaming someone that lived you know, thousands and thousands of years ago uh, is kind of like intellectual suicide. It's the ultimate cop-out, uh, the blame, ultimate blame-casting. Instead of, the devil made me do it, maybe it's Adam and Eve that made me do it. But you may also think that, uh, you know, anything I've done wrong, it doesn't compare to what murderers and rapists and criminals have done out there who get away scot-free. But I would suggest that our need to make excuses by saying I'm not as bad as that guy over there really does point to something that we would consider we had done wrong in our own life. And so whether you believe in the Bible as literal or not, or believe that there was a couple named Adam and Eve, I think we see their behavior in our lives. 
I know I do in my own life. Now, the most amazing thing about the story of the garden is God doesn't abandon us. He doesn't abandon mankind. In fact, what He does is He comes for us. You see, God wants to take you and I on a journey. He wants to get our hearts back. I mean, too many have thought the Bible is really the story of God sitting on His throne, looking down, wanting to whack man beside the head when he steps out of the line. Not so at all. The story of the Bible is really the story of our need for mulligans and God's desire to restore mankind to its original glory. In fact, you can see God's restorative heart throughout the Bible, almost on every page of the Bible. In particular, you can see it through the festivals that He asked Israel to celebrate year in and year out. Now, we've seen it in this, in this series that God commanded Israel to uh, celebrate seven different festivals throughout the year. Remember, there were four in the spring and three in the fall. Uh, and it's in Leviticus 23 that we really see the restorative nature of God's heart toward us. And it's revealed in the sixth festival of the year. It's the festival uh, of atonement, the Day of Atonement. Now, in Israel, it's known as Yom Kippur, which is Hebrew for atonement. And it's at this festival of Yom Kippur that God offers Israel a mulligan. In fact, follow along with me on the screen. You'll see what I mean. So on the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement, God says. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall offer an offering to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it's the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Now, that word atonement used several times in that verse has some religious connotations, but did you know that is a concept that we find in every relationship, in every friendship, in every business partnership today? I mean, if you've been married, you certainly know what it means to make atonement. Not too long ago, I asked Patty if I could borrow her car uh, during the day. She said, well, yeah, sure, but it's almost empty with gas, and I've got an early morning appointment tomorrow across town. Would you mind filling it up with gas? I said, no problem. I'll be glad to fill it up. Well, I kind of got busy that day, and frankly, I just forgot. And I got home that evening, and we were getting ready for bed that night, and Pace said, oh, Doug, did you fill the car up with gas? Oh, honey, I doggone it, I totally forgot. I'll go out right now and do it. And she assured me, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll leave ten minutes early and I'll take care of it tomorrow morning. Well, I felt so bad having forgotten that to fill it up with gas. The next day when I headed home from work, I decided I'd stop by the store and I picked up some flowers for Patty. It was my way of saying You know, I I am sorry for not following through on what I promised. Now, that's what it means to atone. It means to make amends. But did you know on the Day of Atonement for Israel, it was a day the entire nation held its collective breath. 
You see, the Day of Atonement was the most holy day in the entire Israeli calendar. It was a celebration that actually began a week before the Day of Atonement that was a time for reflection and confession of your wrongdoing. Now, now some people look at that word confession and you think, well, does that mean going into a confessional? I mean, to talk to a pastor or to a priest? Or you may be thinking of the word confession as what a policeman gets from a criminal trying to get him to confess to a crime. But that, that word confession simply means to agree with what's true. And that's exactly what God's talking about here when He says, take the time to reflect and confess. But you'll also notice that during the Day of Atonement, you are also not permitted to do any kind of work. And, and many of you remember, are old enough to remember, when Hank Greenberg and Sandy Koufax refused to play in the first game of the World Series a few decades ago because it happened to fall on the holiday of Yom Kippur, this Day of Atonement. I mean, they were Jewish and they wanted to follow what the Scriptures had said. In fact, the... The Hebrews held the sacred scripture in such high regard that in Leviticus it says that if you do not take time to reflect, take time to confess, then you will be excluded, cut off from Israel. I mean, that's how serious this particular festival was. So every Israelite had individual responsibility on that day. They had to cease from work. They had to take time to confess their wrongdoing. But Yom Kippur was not just a time for individual responsibility. It also focused on Israel's collective responsibility as a nation. It was on this day, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest was supposed to go into the most holy area of the temple. It's the place where God's presence was said to manifest itself. The Holy of Holies. And it was here that the high priest would offer atonement for the nation of Israel, that he would make a sacrifice for the collective transgressions of the nation as a whole. Remember I said that Israel held its breath every time the priest would make a sacrifice on this particular day. You see, the priest had to first confess his own, um, make his own confession, confess his own wrongdoing before he could go into the Holy of Holies and confess and sacrifice on the part of the nation. So if the high priest was negligent in his own responsibility to seek personal forgiveness, then when he entered the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice for the nation, he wouldn't survive. In fact, that's exactly what we find happening in the Scripture with Aaron's sons who went into the Holy of Holies. They went before the, the presence of God without the proper covering, without the proper preparations, and they didn't survive. Now, you might be thinking, well, Doug, doesn't, doesn't that just sound archaic that this idea that you had to have a special covering in order to go before God? Well, well it's, it's something that we adhere to in our culture today. 
a special covering. I mean, there's not a one of us in this room that would attempt to go into a five-star restaurant in shorts, a t-shirt, and flip-flops. You would not be allowed in that special space. You would not be served. In fact, there are some establishments that say that you have to have a tie on or a tie and a coat, a proper covering in order to dine in our restaurant. Well, it was no different to go before the presence of God. You had to have a proper covering. So on the Day of Atonement, the crowds, they would gather outside the temple and they would wait and watch. They waited to see if God would accept the sacrifice that was made by the high priest. And if the sacrifice was accepted, it meant that God had extended to Israel a mulligan for the next calendar year. And every year, this sacrifice had to be made, year after year after year. Now, when it comes to making atonement for the nation, you'll find as you read the Bible that God goes into great detail about what's involved in that ceremony. In fact, you get over to Leviticus 15, you discover that this ceremony centered around, of all things, two goats. Two goats. I mean, these goats had to be without blemish, God says. It means they had to be perfect. Now, one goat was chosen to be sacrificed for, to cover the transgressions of the whole nation for the coming year. And you, you may be thinking, well, golly, in this day and time, this business of animal sacrifice sounds so primitive. Why would God do such a thing? I think it's a great question. You see, God wanted the nation of Israel to know that there is a high cost associated with forgiveness. He wanted the people to understand that something had to die in their place. And isn't that, there's something in our own human perception that says we, we need to do something for the things we do wrong. We need to make atonement for the things we do wrong. I mean, that's why I bought the flowers for Patty. It's why justice is so prevalent or supposed to be prevalent in our criminal justice system. That is, unless you have been accused of a crime, then you're not seeking justice, you're seeking mercy. But justice is supposed to rule. So the first goat had to be sacrificed. But the second goat was treated differently. In fact, the second goat was a vivid picture of forgiveness. It was a portrait of what we don't get when we do something wrong. I mean, it's what every one of us seeks when we make a mistake. It was an embody, the embodiment of mercy. I want you to notice how God puts it in Leviticus 16. He says, But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it. And to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now, God calls the second goat a scapegoat. And we know what a scapegoat is. I mean, it's someone who has been blamed for the wrongdoings, the mistakes, the faults of another. This person is innocent of all charges, but he takes on the full penalty of someone else's wrongdoing. And so on the Day of Atonement, they would take this unblemished goat, 
And it was brought before the priest. And the priest would take his hands and lay it on the goat's head. And he would confess the wrongdoing of the nation. But instead of slaying this goat in the usual fashion, the Scripture is explicit, it was set free. It was sent away out of the camp into the wilderness, which became this beautiful, vivid picture of what God wants to do with our wrongdoings, the wrongdoings of Israel. He wants to separate Israel from what they did wrong. To hold their transgressions away from them so they would not be counted against them. So on the Day of Atonement, you get this beautiful picture of forgiveness. You get a picture of God's passion to pardon His desire to extend mercy to the people He loves. But a mulligan was not only given to Israel in the Day of Atonement. Did you know a mulligan has been extended to us as well? In fact, after my brothers-in-law and I had finished our nine holes, I think that day I had been extended about a dozen or so mulligans. I mean, I received five alone on that third hole. And the reason my brothers-in-law were so liberal with their mulligans is because, well... The game really didn't count. Now, can you imagine Tiger Woods on the 18th hole of the Masters leaning over to Phil Mickelson after Phil hits a horrible shot off the tee and say, Oh, Phil, just take a mulligan. I mean, not so. It's not going to happen. You see, when the game counts, the rules matter, and in the PGA, you have to play the ball where it lies. I mean, it lands in the lake, then justice is going to rule, isn't it? You're going to take a penalty stroke. You have one too many clubs in your bag, then fairness is in charge. You're going to be penalized a stroke. You see, golf, in golf, you reap what you sow. I mean, your scorecard is really a brutally honest reflection on what you did that day. Now, if God is any kind of God, we would all think, we'd all have to admit that He's got to be a God of justice and a God of fairness. I mean, He can't look at Hitler and say, oh, just take a mulligan. He can't pretend the Holocaust just didn't take place. If He did, He'd no longer be fair. He'd no longer be just. If he's fair, then he's got to keep score. Justice requires an accurate accounting. Now, that does bring up a question, doesn't it? How does God reconcile his need for justice and fairness along with his heart to love and forgive? They don't seem to go together, do they? Several years ago when our family was, was growing, we, we bought the proverbial minivan. We needed the room. And it had this wonderful dark cherry finish to it. I mean, it just was beautiful. Well, several months after owning the minivan, Patty walks out into the garage and notices on the passenger side of the minivan is carved the letters D 
A-D. I mean gouged into the finish. Well, she goes back inside and asks our son Daniel, do you know anything about that? Well, we were homeschooling Daniel at the time, and he was in the first grade or maybe kindergarten, I can't remember, but he was learning to spell simple words like dad. And so he proudly showed his mom the rock he used to scratch into the van, D-A-D. And then he said, no, what I really wanted to do is I was trying to write, I love dad. And suddenly the L and the O were evident up above. Well, Patty calls me at the office, thank goodness, to kind of give me a heads up of what's going on. And I go home that evening, and I'm in the garage, and I'm looking at low dad. (laughs) And then it hits me. How could I punish him? How could I discipline him for that? It was an expression of his affection for me. He loves his dad. You see, I knew I could forgive Daniel of anything, but somebody was going to have to pay. I mean, I could take all the money out of his piggy bank, but he'd never have enough to pay for the damages, not even a fraction of the amount. You see, forgiveness is never just a matter of words. There's always a cost attached to forgiveness. In fact, I love what John Ortberg says. He says, for forgiveness to be real, someone has to pay a debt. You see, year after year, the scapegoat was a symbol of Israel's transgressions being sent away, of it being covered for another year, but someone has to pay. And that's exactly what happens in the New Testament. You see, Jesus comes along and reconciles God's need to be fair and just with His heart of wanting to be loving and forgiving by dying on the cross in our place for pain for our wrongdoing. Someone did pay. You see, the question is never how much do I love God? But the question is, how much does God love me? And Jesus answered that question once and for all by dying on the cross and paying the debt you owe. You see, when Jesus was led to the cross, it was as if God was speaking loud and clear. Now you're free from every regret. There will be no more guilt. Every demand of justice has been satisfied. Now you understand the place you actually have in my heart. When Jesus was led to the cross, you and I were offered the ultimate mulligan. In fact, I'm going to ask the band to come forward. I want you to know that the the words of the song we're getting ready to sing really express a heart of gratitude to God. You're going to hear them in both English and Hebrew. And they are there to communicate the appreciation that we feel for God opening this path of forgiveness for for us. In other words... These words are really saying, God, thank you for giving me 
the ultimate mulligan. You know, the Day of Atonement is really an opportunity to trade what Barney Fife had, a loaded goat, for a scapegoat. And so we wanted to give you an experience like they had back in Israel. So in just a few moments, we'll give you an opportunity to come forward. We have four tables set up. Each one of these tables is a piece of paper. You can keep ATM distance if you want for the people in front of you for a little quiet time. But maybe if you're in this section, you can make your way over to this table initially and this section to this table. And that section to the far table on the left and this section here. Just come forward and grab a pen and a piece of paper. And maybe you just want to use an initial. And just write down something that you want to ask God for forgiveness for. For mine, I'm going to put the letter Q on here for Quinn. I've been worried a lot about him. It's a way of saying, God, I confess I've been worried about what the future holds for my special needs son and whether I have what it takes. And God, I want you to sustain me and forgive me. I want to put the letter I on mine. I got lots. You might just have one. Impatience. I yelled at my son two weeks ago. We were working on a deck together and I just took out my anger on him. I got plenty more. I'm not going to tell you the rest of mine. Um, so just write down whatever yours is. You can just wad it up. And after you've signed it, you can just make your way to the center. And we're just going to have a collective experience of forgiveness. As we put all the things that we're asking God to be our scapegoat to into this, to this barrel, this bowl of forgiveness. And then we're going to collectively, like they did at Yom Kippur, collectively experience forgiveness together. Because Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat. So the band's going to continue to play. Again, if, if you don't want to come up, that's fine. But uh, even if it's sort of weird for you, I just encourage all of us to come up. This is a chance for all of us to say, hey, we all fall short of our own standards. We all need forgiveness. We all need mulligans. We all need to do over. So we have the band continue to play. And again, if you want to make your way, this section can come here, this section here. And we've got a surprise at the end of what forgiveness is really all about. So I'll begin and go ahead and make your way. time of David Atonement was a time of somberness, a little what we just experienced here. The somberness of recognizing that things aren't all right in our relationships. There's some things that we need to be forgiven of. So what happened is that the priest would come, and the priest would literally lay his hands upon the collective wrongdoing of the people and lay it upon the goat that would be slain. And it would be a transfer of blame. The blame, the collective blame of the country would be transferred from us to the goat that would die. But then there would be another transfer. The, the same priest would put his hands upon the collective wrongdoing, upon the scapegoat. And the scapegoat would be allowed to go out and separate us from the guilt, separate us from the shame. And after that moment of somberness was over, people wondered, will the priest come out? Will he declare that there is forgiveness? Did the, was the sacrifice accepted? And then there would be a time of great celebration. And then they came to the time of sacrifice. 
the goat would be roasted, the goat would be burned, and the people would cheer. And feel free to cheer as well if the sacrifice is accepted. Man, I may have lost my eyebrows on that. And this is why Yom Kippur ultimately points to the ultimate scapegoat and the ultimate goat that would be sacrificed, Jesus Christ. And that is the forgiveness that he offers to any of us. So we hope that you mark this moment today as the day that you chose to recognize Christ as your scapegoat and trade a loaded goat for a scapegoat that is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your forgiveness Thank you for the celebration that we can walk out cleaner. We can walk out forgiven. We can walk out knowing honestly that what we did was wrong, but also honestly that we have been separated from it. There's a scapegoat wandering around somewhere we don't even know, and we're not going to hunt down and find it. We choose to let it roam and to walk in forgiveness with you through Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today to experience Yom Kippur together. If you're new to Horizon, we'd love to greet you and meet you. Third door on your left, some folks at the hearth room. See you all next week. Thanks again.